thank you everybody um i know it's uh there's a lot of things on on people's minds and it's valentine's day uh coming up soon so um again you know there's there's just so much going on in the world um that sometimes it's it's kind of overwhelming you're trying to catch up and and, and be on top of things um but today's um message is actually going to be sort of related to valentine's day um and uh i don't like doing like these thematic types of sermons or or messages just because i i don't know it, it seems to kind of distract sometimes but i think in this case it works actually really well um so i am going to go ahead and read our um our scripture reading for today so if if you don't have uh i actually don't have it on the screen but it's it's taken from the book of ruth uh, which is a book of the old testament it's found in ruth chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and it says it's a story of of this woman named ruth and her uh, mother-in-law it says one day naomi said to ruth my daughter it's time that i found a permanent home for you so that you will so that you will be provided for boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor now do as i tell you take take a bath put on perfume and and a dress and, and dress in your nicest clothes and then go to the threshing floor but don't let boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking be sure to notice where he lies down then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He'll tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Let us pray real quick. Father, I just pray that as we dive into this story that you may make clear to us uh, your character and your love for us, um, that we may know and understand more each day about you. And in this moment, I pray that you bless these words and that they may touch the hearts that they are meant to touch today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, to begin with, the story of Ruth is essentially is a story of redemption. But it is also a story of a great risk taken. It's a story of loyalty, kindness, generosity. And, it, and it's also a story of a budding relationship. Um, perhaps it's not romantic at first. The story does end with Ruth finding a husband, but what leads her and her mother-in-law to such a dramatic uh, gesture is of surprising Boaz in the middle of the night as he's sleeping uh, seems to be somewhat subversive in a culture that strives for purity and the keeping of the law of God. It seems risky. Now, that's just a setup. February, as I was mentioning, brings us to Valentine's Day. It's a day in which love is celebrated. It's, it's an old tradition, and its roots can be traced to a so-called St. Valentine. Now, there, the myth goes that there was a priest named St. Valentine in Rome who married couples against the declaration of the Emperor Claudius II. Now, this emperor, he was so intent on carrying out various bloody 
war campaigns and and he needed young soldiers to join his ranks. And however, this priest named Claudius, I mean, however, Claudius, sorry, is said to have uh, favored uh, unmarried young soldiers because married soldiers didn't favor war um, because they wanted to stay with their wives and, and, and with their families. Now, to prevent soldiers from getting married, Claudius, the emperor, the Roman emperor, is said to have sent out a decree saying that no marriages were to be performed. Now, this priest, St. Valentine, seeing the injustice of this decree, continues to carry out marriages in secret. Now, he was, when he was finally found out, he was beaten to death and beheaded. Now, it's not a very nice story. <laughs> However, later on, Valentine was canonized, and we now know him as St. Valentine. The day that he was supposedly executed on was believed to be somewhere around February 14th of the year 270. Now, many historians will debate the validity of that story, but it's, it's become the myth that, most, that we most often, it's most often told about Valentine's Day, we, which has become one of the most commercialized days in the U.S. And in fact, it's only superseded by the Christmas holiday in the U.S. Americans spend so much money on Valentine's Day that only Christmas overshadows it. Think about that. Now, as I was saying, the Bible tells us of another story of love, one that seems a bit scandalous, and that also seems to happen in secret. The book of Ruth is a four-chapter story found in the Old Testament. It tells us of a Hebrew family that is forced to leave their hometown, Bethlehem, due to a famine. And yes, this is the same Bethlehem where Jesus is born, the same Bethlehem where David, King David, is born. And they are forced to move from this town um, because of a famine. Just like Abraham and Jacob had been forced to move due to famines in the past, this story begins with this, with this terrible uh, thing that is happening. It's a famine. They can't find food. The Hebrew family is forced to settle in a country that is not their own. They, they go to a different country called Moab. The family consisted of Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons, Malan and Kilian. After settling in this new country, Moab, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, and he is survived by Naomi and her sons. Her sons later grow up, and they marry Moabite women. I'll say that again. Her sons grew up and married Moabite women. It's a story of an interracial, possibly interfaith marriage. And at the time, it would have been a scandal for any Israelite, any Hebrew, to marry a non-Israelite, a non-Hebrew. Moab had, in fact, been an enemy of the Israelites in the past. Yet here it is that they not only find shelter in Moab, but wives and in households. Does that sound familiar? Do you know people who have mixed marriages of that sort? And normally your mind goes to that whole don't be unequally yoked statement in the Bible, right? Well, here, here we are. So let's listen. So time passes on. 
And unfortunately, both of Naomi's sons die and they leave Naomi childless. They leave her a widow with no husband and no children, no grandchildren, because both sons are said in the, in the, in the book that they do not actually end up having children of their own. So it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law that are left. The first was named Oprah. The second was named Ruth. But Naomi, after all this happens, she hears that the famine is over back home and she plans to return. So she calls her daughters-in-law and, and, and tells them, hey, you know what? I'm going to head back home. You guys should probably do the same. Go back to your families. You have no husbands. You have no children. Um, this is the best thing I could, I could do for you. I have nothing to offer you. I have no future to give you. And so Oprah, one of the daughters-in-law, goes to her family. But Ruth stands by Naomi's side and she refuses to leave her. She says, wherever you go, I will go. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And Naomi and Ruth then travel to Bethlehem. Now, this is a huge deal for Ruth to, to say and to do, to, to not want to go back to her families, but rather go to Naomi, with Naomi to a place that she doesn't know, to a people that she doesn't know, and, to this, and take her God as her own. It's a huge deal. So they get back to Bethlehem. Ruth has essentially become Naomi's daughter at this point. They arrive in time for the barley harvest. And Naomi knows of only one of her husband's, Elimelech's relatives, who happens to have been a very successful person. And he has land and prominence in Bethlehem. So now they're back in Bethlehem. And Ruth tells Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I find favor. She's basically saying, let me go out to this harvest and pick up whatever grain I could possibly get behind the people who normally harvest these fields. In other words, we have to eat and I'm young and I can work. I'll go and see what I can get for us. It's a kind gesture, seeing as how Naomi was probably not able to do such work at her age. So Ruth goes to this field. She starts gleaning grain at the field. She starts picking up this grain. And, she, and as, she's, as she's going along, because it's the harvest time, she happens to find herself on a field that belongs to this man named Boaz. Now, the story goes that Boaz was coming back from town and he noticed her and asks his servants, what, what is this woman up to? right? Who is she? So they tell him all about her. They tell him that she, first of all, is a Moabite that came back with Naomi from the country of Moab and how she had asked to gather grain behind the reapers and they had allowed her to do it. So Boaz takes notice and says to her, you know, don't glean on any other fields. Don't go to any other fields to pick up grain. Stay on my land, stay on my field, Follow the reapers and keep close to the other women. In those times, it sounds like other women were also doing something similar to, to Ruth and going out and picking up grain. Now, I've told the young men, Boaz says, not to bother you. 
And if you get thirsty, you can drink from what we have. And Ruth is overcome with emotion. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Like, why would you take notice of someone like me? I'm a foreigner. Like, I'm a Moabite. Do you not know who I am? But Boaz sees past this foreigner label. He sees past this Moabite label and sees something in Ruth. Something that is intriguing and special and beautiful. He responds, all that you've done for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Then he said to her, may the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth is comforted by these words and, and, and Boaz's kindness comforts her uh, because even though she is neither his servant nor one of his people, he is generous to her. And she brings a plentiful harvest back to Naomi. She brings lots of grain back home. So curious, Naomi asks her, well, where did, where did you go today? Where did you pick up this stuff? You know, she wasn't expecting her to come home with so much grain. And Ruth says, I gleaned at Boaz's field. And Naomi's just kind of perks up, you know, and she says, blessed be Boaz, uh, says Naomi, because Boaz's kindness is, is to Naomi as she's speaking. You get the sense that she understands Boaz's kindness as God's kindness towards both, she says, the living and the dead. Kindness towards Naomi and Ruth, but also kindness towards her husband and her sons who are now rest in peace. Naomi then creates this bold plan to seek some security for Ruth. She already knows that Boaz has taken notice and, and he's been kind to Ruth. So she decides it's time to take a risk. Ruth, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now go shower, put on some perfume and put on your best clothes you have and go down to the threshing floor, but be stealthy. Don't let anybody know you're there. Sneak in, wait until he has finished eating and drinking. Make sure to take notice where he goes to lie down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, Ruth may or may not have a thing for Boaz at this point. But what Naomi is asking her to do is a bit risky. Now, although some may say that there are some sexual overtones or euphemisms regarding the uncovering of feet, this is actually a custom laid out in the book of Deuteronomy of the law. It was stated that if a man died, leaving his wife a childless widow, then that man's brother must marry that woman. But if that man's brother was unwilling to marry her, then this widow should bring the man to the gates of the city or the town and take his sandal off his foot and spit on his face and declare dishonor on that man's house because he was unwilling to carry out his duty. Now, all of that sounds really strange to us today. I know, but for them, it was a common practice. And women in those days were 
always connected to a man in order to protect their honor. Now, Naomi knows that by uncovering Boaz's feet, Ruth would be requesting to be taken as his wife. But she is smart about the way she does it. Boaz is not Ruth's brother-in-law. So this is already a stretch. And Naomi asks Ruth to do this in secret so as to not dishonor Boaz, who had been so generous to them so far. Naomi doesn't know for sure that Boaz will look favorably upon Ruth. Ruth cannot be 100% assured that Boaz won't turn and shame her for being so bold. But Naomi is cunning and she weighs the risks and Ruth trusts Naomi and she goes for it. She puts on her best dress, her best perfume, and sneaks over to the threshing floor. She watches Boaz at a distance, watching until he's had enough to eat and drink. It was technically a party at the end of the harvest. Eventually, Boaz makes his bed somewhere in the threshing floor. The Bible says that he was at the end of a heap of grain lying down, and Ruth waits until he lies down. She waits so long that Boaz is perhaps asleep. I imagine Ruth's hands get clammy. She knows this is risky. It's bold. This would not be advisable under any other circumstances. But she trusts Naomi, and she decides that it at least deserves a shot. So she walks over to the threshing floor, careful that no one sees her. She comes up to Boaz and uncovers his feet, and she lays down. At midnight, the Bible says that Boaz was startled. He was shook. He was shaking in fear. <laughs> in the Bible, this phrase at midnight is very significant because it always, it's always at midnight that something good happens. Something good always happens at midnight. Something related to redemption and salvation. At midnight, the Lord struck Egypt with the final plague that resulted in Pharaoh letting Israel go free. Matthew 25, 6 says, but at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom, go out and meet him. At midnight, Boaz is startled, awake, and upon turning over, he sees a woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? Right? He's freaking out. Like, what, is just, what just happened? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are Gaal. That's the Hebrew word, which the English translates as next of kin or closest relative. But this is also a word that, that is used for someone who has the right to redeem someone, a redeemer kinsman or a redeemer relative. So what's with the request to have Boaz's, Boaz spread his cloak over her? Now, the Hebrew word here is kanaf, and it's most often translated as wing or an extremity of some sort, extremity of a garment or an edge of it. Hebrew men were commanded in the law, in, in the book of Numbers, to have a tassel-like edge on their cloaks called a tzitzit. Its purpose was to remind them of the law of God so that they would be faithful and not follow the lust of their desires or of their eyes, but rather remember all of the commandments of God and do them. Ruth essentially asks Boaz to cover him, cover her under his wing. 
which at the time would have also had this tzitzit hanging from its corner. It's a reminder of God's law to act in righteousness. Echoing the very words that Boaz had earlier spoken to Ruth, where he said, may the Lord reward you for your deeds and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, Kanaf, you have come for refuge. Boaz finds himself in a situation where a desperate woman seeks refuge, security, not only for herself, but also for her mother-in-law. He understands the uncovering of his feet as an appeal for him to, to fulfill his kinship duty, to take the widow into his house as his wife. But he is also acutely aware of the implications of this. Ruth is seeking refuge under the wing, kanaf, of the Lord, which by extension is Boaz. Boaz then bound by the law of God, which calls him to act righteously, informs Ruth that there is one other close relative who would need to first decline uh, to take her as his wife. Now, let's not forget that the issue, let's not forget this issue about the unequally yoked, right? That these, these, they are not of the same people. This would constitute a mixed marriage of which people were warned of in the Bible. An Israelite marrying a Moabite woman was scandalous, but Boaz sees past these things. Boaz sees her heart. He sees her kindness, her courage, her generosity towards Naomi, who was, who was not bio, her biological mother. And he accepts her regardless of her outward identity. This part of herself that Ruth is unable to change, Boaz overlooks. Instead, looking at her acts of kindness that, makes, that made her truly worthy. Ruth had first taken a huge risk of coming to a foreign land, of becoming like one of them and receiving their God as her God. Ruth had sought refuge under the wings of the Lord. It had been a leap of faith. She had not only shown a loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law, right? Uh, but had also shown faith in the God of Israel. Boaz sees that God sees what God sees in Ruth. I'll say that again. Boaz sees it in Ruth, what God sees in Ruth. And it is this precise ability that allows Boaz to love her in righteousness. Boaz is admirable for his ability to do this. He has a very strong sense of right and wrong. No doubt growing up as an Israelite would have instilled the law of God in his heart, but it's one thing to know the law and another to do it. It's one thing to know what's right, and it's a different thing to do what is right. And to know uh, when to look beyond appearances or supposed identities. The next day, Boaz gathers a small assembly of elders at the town's gates following the commands in the book of Deuteronomy, where he discusses the situation with the man who is a closer relative to Naomi. And after that man declines, he takes Ruth the Moabite, as his wife, providing for her and for Naomi. Ruth later 
Uh, Ruth and Boaz later have a son whom they name Obed, who becomes the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David. The, the story of Ruth stands in a very stark contrast to another book of the Old Testament called Ezra. Ruth is a story that predates, it's before the King David, uh, King David even shows up in the story. And, and it's before the Israelites are even ever taken as captives um, by the kingdom of Babylon. Ezra is a book of the Old Testament that tells the story of a priest named Ezra who returns from this exile in Babylon. The Israelites are taken to Babylon because they disobey God. They, they, they start, you know, they, they basically lose focus and they're taken captives of Babylon. Eventually they return to Jerusalem and, and in their effort to rebuild Jerusalem, in their effort to repent from what had caused them to be taken captives in the first place. Um, the book of Ezra tells this story where they, they try to remain pure. Ezra and several other leaders asked the men who had married foreign women while in captivity, while in Babylon, to basically divorce them and send their wives away along with their children. It was an effort to purify their bloodlines. It was an instance in which foreigners were deliberately harmed in order to, in their minds, please God. In a single moment, Israel's leaders had created a mass of widows and fatherless children for the sake of religious worship of God. The story of Ruth challenges this type of religious nonsense. We are often called to use our judgment in the application of the law, which is always to bring righteousness and to uphold kindness, generosity as a blessing to all peoples. Ruth is the story of a foreigner who seeks refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel and who receives this refuge in a tangible form under the wing cloak Kanaf, of one of Naomi's husband's relatives who sees in her the qualities which the law, the very law of God are meant to bring out of a person. Kindness, generosity, grace, courage. The story of Ezra is one of unfortunate legalism, which destroys and instead of fostering kindness, fosters hurt, brokenness, poverty, pain, injustice. God gave us all minds capable of thinking and praying, of leaning not on our own inclinations or impulsive actions, but remembering the commandments of the Lord, which will bring about peace, grace, and love. The marriage of Ruth and Boaz would have been condemned by Ezra. Yet here, it is seen as an extension of God's kindness towards the foreigner. Ruth the Moabite, who becomes King David's great great, great grandmother. It is Boaz's ability to see not what men see, but what God sees in the heart that allows him to be in his unique position to see Ruth for who she is, a worthy woman, a woman he would marry. In our relationships, it's often easier to be swayed by the superficial, right? The face value uh, that we put on people, but God looks at the heart. Just as he told the prophet Samuel, when he sent him to Bethlehem to seek out the young David to anoint him king of Israel, 
He said, the Lord looks at the heart. If we are to become a true people of God, we must foster kindness in our hearts towards one another. We must ask God for the ability to look into the heart of a person, for the ability to be kind, even when it is difficult to do that, even when it goes against our own, our own personal biases. When we encounter people of different skin tones, of different religions, different backgrounds, beliefs uh, about politics and the world, instead of avoiding them, instead of pushing them away, can we be kind? Instead of responding in anger during an argument, can we instead be kind? Can we instead look at the heart of the matter? It could be that by extending grace, we might be enacting the wings, the kanaf of the Lord, under which we all will find refuge. It is at midnight that something good always happens. May we ever be ready to be agents of good. May we ever be ready to extend refuge to one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your generosity, for your love and your care, and for the fact that you do not forget those who oftentimes feel forgotten who feel unseen, who feel unworthy. And in many cases, that might be ourselves. And in many cases, it might be people around us. Lord, help us to foster in our hearts this kindness and generosity, this ability to see people for who they are, to see the value that they intrinsically hold because you have created them. Let us also be uh, courageous like Ruth to be kind and to, to go out on a leap of faith when sometimes we might be in situations that, that foster doubt. Help us to like, like Ruth to be kind and generous regardless of who someone is. Help us to, to, to bring peace in grace and love and joy into our communities, into our families, in our relationships. On this weekend where love is celebrated, help us to remember what true love looks like. Jesus, you gave your life for us. You covered us when we were unworthy. You make us worthy and you transform us from the inside out. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your love. On this day and always, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Sabbath, everybody. Um, just as a reminder, we are doing this next Sabbath, same time, here on Facebook. Um, and we'll see you then. Have a great week. Happy Valentine's Day. God bless. Bye-bye.